Welcome to the Closterbell podcast, where in this episode we talk about a pathetic bunch of tin soldiers skulking around the galaxy in an ancient spaceship. The TARDIS Cloister Bell. Imminent disaster. The Cloister Bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the Cloister Bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The Cloister Bell? Oh, no. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. I'm Liam, and I'm joined by Rob. Hello, Rob. Hi, Liam. Hi, everyone. Uh, we've finally made it to the end of season 12. Uh, yes, we have. I've, uh, I've actually, um, I've, I've actually enjoyed doing it. But having said that, though, I am sort of pleased that we've we've finally come to the end of it. Um, uh, at the end of it, I think we'll probably do not only just a summing up of today's story, which is Revenge of the Cybermen, but I think we'll probably have a bit of a chat of how we feel about season twelve as a whole. Um, mm. but, but obviously, before we, we get there, we'll just have the uh, you know the, the light-hearted chat, which I always actually always enjoy. So, um, how have you been? Not been too bad. Uh, what have I been up to? Not much this week. Um, there's been a bit of football or something going on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you uh, catch any of that? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Um, it's sort of uh, at the time of re- at the time of recording, we're recording this before the final, so um, which is England versus Italy. So, but by the time this podcast comes out, we will know. Um, what you know, whether England has has won or not. Either way, football's coming home, because if they lose, they're coming home. <laughs> if they win, they're coming home anyway. So you know, football's coming home regardless. Um, hey. Yeah. Uh, ha- uh. Have you? Because we we talked about it briefly uh, in uh, our previous podcast. Uh, have you have you watched any more of the matches since? A little bit. Um, most of the days it's on. Uh, I've got to be up really early for work the next day, mm. so it's a bit unfortunate but um, uh, ordinarily I wouldn't really care but I am kind of paying attention since since it's the Euros mm-hmm. um, otherwise I've been watching Loki, I've been keeping up to date with that, I'm on episode 5 of 6, which is out every Wednesday, it's been really good, um, I'd love to talk about that now but maybe not everyone's caught up on that I've also been watching season five of Rick and Morty. Um, I think I'm three episodes into that. How are you finding it? Um, it's good. I, I feel like uh, season four there wasn't there wasn't many favourites in there. I like the Vat of Acid episode. Uh, but this this series, have you been watching it? No, no, I haven't. I think because um, I watched the first three series, um, obviously a while back, and I quite liked it. And there was quite a gap between series three and series four. By the time it was a few se- years, I think. Yeah, and so by the time series four came came out, I'd sort of lost interest in the show a little bit, if if I'm honest. But I did watch a couple of the episodes, and then it just sort of petered out for me a bit. So, um, it's, it's 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 doing, doing yeah, it's good. It's definitely going somewhere because uh, I'm sure they've kind of got it all booked for a good solid 
five, six or seven more seasons. I'm sure that was the that was the deal. Um, and there's this whole subtle thing with evil Morty with the eye patch. Oh, uh, so is that is that, that is that picked up again now? It was. I think it was last season. It was subtly mentioned. There was an episode where there was versions of them inside a toy train, which wasn't actually them, but these versions of them saw a glimpse of the future and there was some big battlefield with evil Morty um, about to fight them. So I think it's kind of foreshadowing something a few seasons down the line. Ah, okay, interesting. Uh, I I might actually go back and uh, get into it again then. One of uh, the theories I like is that Evil evil Morty with the eye patch is actually Rick's original Morty because we do know that Rick wasn't around when Morty was a baby because mm-hmm. he left. But there's an episode where Morty is with Birdman and he looks at a picture on the wall and it's Rick with a baby dressed in Morty's clothes and and Morty's like, who's that kid? Um. And also in the original episode with Evil Morty, um, Rick, we see some of Rick's memories, and it's Rick with a baby Morty, and Rick's getting really emotional. <laughs> so yeah, I think Evil Morty might be Rick's actual Morty. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, it'd probably be the case, actually. Uh, I might get back into that then. Um, yeah, you, you've piqued my interest. Yeah, I think I'll get... Where can you watch it? Oh, I don't know internationally. Uh, it's on Channel Four in the UK, so I've been getting that on. What I was going to say, Four OD hasn't been called that in a long time. Mm. I know, I, I know <laughs> what you mean. Yeah, I, I still thought it was called that. Right, okay, that's fine. Actually, well, talking to my television because I've um, I've resubscribed to Netflix, um, which may surprise you. Um, uh, you unsubscribed? What? Yeah, <laughs> I can't really even remember when I when I cancelled my subscription. But anyway, it was quite. It was a long time ago. So anyway, I've resubscribed to it. Um, and I've uh, I've been watching uh, comedians in cars getting coffee, um, and that's just been a really really just a pleasurable experience. So, if you don't know what that is, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, in each episode, he he, he picks a re- uh, usually it's like a really really nice car, but in some way he he's picked it because he feels like it represents that week's guest, and it tends to be a comedian. Sometimes it'll be just be a a straight actor there's one episode where it's um, President Obama but usually it'll be a comedian and as the title suggests they get in a car and they go and get a coffee but it's just really just pleasant that just Jerry Seinfeld and a comedian having a chat going for a coffee and just talking and having a laugh and it's uh, just just a very nice pleasant pleasant show to watch so that's uh, that's been my uh, my television that sounds pretty cool <laughs> uh, yeah you haven't seen much else no 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 <laughs> not much I did go to the cinema I don't think it qualifies as a trip to the cinema I, I think I'll see something good and I'll, that'll be my first trip to the cinema that I'll uh, call it that mm. but I did see Peter Rabbit 2 oh good week. god right okay and <laughs> it was fine um, of course the the rabbit is voiced by James Corden mm-hmm. Um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I've seen the I've seen the first movie, and um, I, um, I I I'm not a fan of it. 
I, yeah. I think we'll just leave it at that because I could, I could get very negative about it. I, yeah, I didn't like it. I just thought it was awful. There was one moment that made me laugh. Oh, um, okay. The, uh, they were out looking for the deer because there's, there's this deer that loves headlights. Hmm. Um, so the the all the animals have been taken and they're tracking them down. And um, the the guy who lives in the house, McGregor. Um, he goes into this place and there's a deer head on the wall. He's like, "No, we're too late!" And then they're like, "No, look over there!" And the deer is actually at the other side of the room. <laughs> actually, that just sounds like a decent joke. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I might actually just watch it for that one moment. Um, oh, okay, great. Um, anything else? No, um, I do want to go and see Fast and Furious Nine, and I will actually prioritize Black Widow, which I think came out. For us today, um, I noticed it's on Disney Plus. If you pay a little bit extra on top of your subscription, you can watch that. But no, I'll wait till I've gone to the cinema. No, fair enough. Uh, yeah, and hopefully we'll be in a position yeah. soon to actually go to the cinema in a, a semblance yeah. of normality. Yeah. Um, oh, I did catch on with a little trick at the cinema. Um, I might not do this when I go and see something next time, but when you get the nachos combo. Usually it's about, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, 15 pounds, something ridiculous for the large nachos combo. Mm. But what I did was, um, I asked for just the dips. So I paid three pounds for a tray with just just the cheese dips. And I'd snuck in some Doritos and a bottle of pop. Actually sounds like a damn uh, sensible suggestion. They are, folks. Uh, I mean, uh, they obviously knew. Like, what was I going to do? Well, with that's the thing. It's, there's a whole thing about, you know, I snuck food in. No one, this is the thing. No one cares. Yeah. I know you seriously try to, you know, members of the staff at the cinemas, no, you don't care. Oh, you seriously going to suggest this? Oh, I'm sorry, sir, we're not allowing you into the cinema. Why not? Because you brought in your own bag of jelly babies or something. Yeah. You know, it's just, no, no, it's fine. And actually, that's really good, consu- good consumer advice, Rob. So, um, yeah. there you are. I did time. actually Google if it was okay as well, and apparently it's just don't bring in alcohol or food that smells. <laughs> Which is fair enough. I think that's you know that's uh, that, that's basic etiquette. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that, that's fine. Um, um, I did go to um, open my bottle of pop, uh, and it was a quiet moment. So I, I slowly <laughs> opened it over the space of about thirty seconds, <laughs> which you pro- <laughs> which probably resulted in you making more noise. Yeah, <laughs> much like that. It's like, do you remember those moments whenever you've been in a in a meeting? or like a lecture or something like that and there's someone that comes in like maybe 10 minutes late and they do that whole thing of you know um, trying not to make as much noise as possible and trying to make their presence less obvious by doing this this thing of you know slowly opening the door slowly closing it and then doing this bizarre hunched movement as they try and just discreetly f- you know find it find a, um, a chair to sit in the result yeah. of that makes the whole thing just more obvious, more long. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we've all done yeah. it, but it's. Uh, just, I think it's I, I was in a I was in this team meeting once, and uh, one guy turned up late, uh, so he came in ten minutes late uh, with a with a McDonald's. Um, <laughs> so, he, so he sits down, and then we're actually all getting bollocked and shouted at, uh, and he's he's got them under the table, and and my man just kind of. Raising his voice at where, and he's just slowly lifting up one fry after another. 
He said, he said, I felt dead awkward, but I'm not going to not eat it. No, that's fantastic. If it was me, though, I think I would... It would have been even better, though, if he just made it entirely <laughs> obvious. Like, he, you know, he just unfolds everything in front of him and then just eats the burger. <laughs> just, yeah. Oh, that would have been so much better, but that, that is funny. I, I like that. <laughs> um, right, okay. It seems a bit... This is a massive tonal shift from, from what we've been talking about and having a bit of a laugh to... Um, to this um, but uh, Jackie Lane who is the actress who played the companion Dodo during the William Hartnell era um, sadly passed away recently aged 79 um, uh, she didn't have uh, a long acting career in fact following on from her time on Doctor Who uh, Lane actually became a theatrical agent but interestingly uh, she represented Tom Baker um, who you may have heard of uh, and also represented uh, Tegan Javanka, uh, who played Janet Fielding. Um, so yeah, uh, Jackie Lane sadly passed away at the age of seventy-nine. Um, but then on the other side of it, which is a bit sort of a bit of a whiplash of, of news, um, it was announced that to- uh, the actor Tony Selby, who played Glitz, uh, was reported to have died. Um, but this was due to some confusion because there's a there's a producer called Tony Selby and it was actually him who passed away um, so obviously sad news uh, for, for his f- friends and family but uh, because he's not Doctor Doctor Who related we couldn't give a toss um, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, so the actor Toby Selby who played Glitz is very much alive um, but yeah there was, some, there was some confusion in the news that Tony Selby the, the Glitz actor died but no he didn't um, so yeah thanks internet yeah yeah that happens it was a bit like um, the the actress who played the Bond girl uh, in A View to a Kill, um, Sarah Sutton. The actress uh, was reported to have died, then was actually said, no, 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 she hasn't died, she's alive. Uh, and then actually it turned out that she died. And that was that was a bit weird. Um, that was all over the place. So yeah, these things happen. Uh, anyway, uh, good news. Finally, folks, finally, because it feels like we've been talking about it for absolute months. Uh, finally, the season 24 Blu-ray box set was released. Was it worth the wait? Yeah, I'm absolutely loving it. Uh, I mean, it is probably one of the worst seasons of Doctor Who, but it's still immensely enjoyable. And it's got Dragonfire in it, which is a cracking good story, and Paradise Towers, which I just love. Uh, yeah, it was it was absolutely worth the wait. Um, the amount of special features on that is just insane. Um, I mean, these box sets anyway are jam packed with special features, but but then this, it's um, it's like even more. Like some of the special features, you go to the special features uh, menu, and then there 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 are sub menus of sub menus, and just going what and. And then you're sitting here going, I'm watching an extended version of Time and the Rani. Wow, who would have thought that? We now live in a world where I can watch an extended version of Time and the Rani and just absolutely love it. Um, and it, it was quite good as well because I used the, the excuse to uh, get in contact with Lee Binding, who does the, who, who's an artist and he does uh, an, off, you know, an awful lot of um, Doctor Who publicity artwork, but he also does the artwork for the... Uh, for the box sets I actually got in contact with him and we ended up getting into oh, a pals <laughs> we pretty much I mean uh, we're on first name terms at this point we actually ha- I actually spoke to him um, uh, I was going to tell you Rob but uh, I, th- I thought I'd leave it as a nice surprise for the podcast so that that was just really cool so I ended up having a conversation with him and we were talking about how we both got into Doctor Who 
um, uh, uh, and his his theory, which uh, he, he has this theory, which the very the first four Doctor Who stories that you watch um, kind of cement what makes you love the show. It, it's sort of like for him, it's like the first four stories are the, the importance is placed on there. And when I was talking to him, I said because you went, he said, so it's interesting with you that the second Doctor Who story you ever watched was Dimensions in Time. So he said it'd be up to you whether you count that as uh, if you count that or not. So, and then I'm you, guessing you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose I do. I, I can't help it. And uh, and then we were having a conversation about how he approaches the artwork. So. And how he puts a, a priority onto it. So, in terms of the season twenty-four box set, um, obviously you have the main cover artwork, which is um, which is the main priority. And the way that he approaches that is if is if he's creating the actual poster that would be, that would have been used to advertise that season. It, it's sort of his look on it. Um, so that's obviously the first priority. And then what he does is then he then. The, then the main thing is the, the booklet and the artwork where the booklet is housed. Um, and then at the least priority is the artwork that goes onto the discs. And his original intention was that when you open the box and the the bit of artwork where the booklet is housed, that would have been artwork related to... He wanted to originally do Time and the Rani um, to represent the season, but he felt that actually at that point... It would have been oversaturated because the front cover you've actually got um, Sylvester McCoy in the costume, how he wears it in that story. He's he's holding the spoons in that story. The back of the art, the back of the box has the TARDIS as it appears in uh, at the very beginning of that story when it's been attacked by the sort of like the laser beams. Um, so then he changed it to looking at uh, he uses Paradise Towers, but his favourite artwork is the is the is the the artwork that he produced for the cover of the booklet which is sort of Dragonfire related and then we were discussing how we ranked the stories and it's sort of interesting because we, we rank them slightly differently but we, we both agreed that our least favourite story is um, Delta and the Bannerman and uh, other than a couple of pictures inside the booklet that, that story's not represented uh, at all on, on the box but anyway there we go but that was quite nice I, was, uh, I ended up having a conversation with my best mate Lee um, so, so that was kind of cool. That is cool. Oh. Um, just going back to a previous thing. So, obviously, we've been reviewing season twelve, and that meant uh, us re-reviewing the Santoran experiment because we'd originally reviewed that story in um, podcast thirty-two, and then we've obviously come back to it for the purposes of, of this block of uh, of episodes. Um, but one of the things that we've we've changed recently is how we rank the stories. Originally, we would rank them out of ten, but now we've decided to actually simplify it and actually go: Do we think it's good, okay, or bad? So, um, one of the things I was supposed to do when we for the Genesis of the Daleks uh, podcast, but I completely forgot to do it, was actually go back to that original podcast and see how we rank them and compared it to how we're ranking it now. Actually, we've been quite consistent. So, in the most recent version of us reviewing that story, Rob, you said the story was good, and I said it was, Did. you know, average. Although we both liked it, but there was that. Well, d- yeah, you you really had me thinking. Did I say the wrong thing? I thought, is it really an average story? And I've been thinking about it for weeks, 
and I finally decided I stick with what I said. No, no, that's great. I mean, you know, just you know, be honest. Don't be influenced because you know. But actually, we've been consistent because in that original podcast when we first looked at it, you gave it seven out of ten, uh, and I gave it six out of ten. Yeah. So we've actually been consistent, so that's quite good. We're not just making things up as we go along. <laughs> just roll, roll a dice. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> no, heaven forbid, of course we don't. It's, it's all very extreme. It's all thought out to the nth degree. Um, so uh, for today's podcast, we'll be looking at Revenge of the Cybermen, but there's a, there's a couple of things that I, I want to do, bef- uh, wait a little bit longer before we start. So I'll take it... Um, did you when you were watching it, Rob? Did you watch any of the the special features? Uh, no, I just watched the episodes. Oh, okay. But uh, I take it you've watched them before. Uh, yes, but nothing um, springs to mind. Oh, okay. Well, because on the DVD and it's also on the Blu-ray uh, for this story, uh, there's a uh, there's a do- uh, there's a documentary on it called Checks, Lies, and Videotape. And uh, and it looks at the uh, how Doctor Who started to be released on the home entertainment market with VHS, and the very first story that was released on VHS was Revenge of the Cybermen. But the main uh, look at this documentary is actually how expensive these things were when they were first released, and so it looks at the the pirating of Doctor Who stories originally. Um, and I just thought I'd use this opportunity to ask you, Rob. Um, have <laughs> have you ever been have you ever been involved in? I, I don't think making, but maybe you have making or purchasing or getting your hands on a pirate Doctor Who story. Um, a pirate Doctor Who story? No, um, I've never really been in that market before. Uh, I don't think I would. Uh, it's the kind of thing. I wanted to buy to put on my shelf. Mm-hmm. So, no. Ah, right. <laughs> well, very nice. Well, I'm afraid I have. Um, mm-hmm. um, this was back in the day. I think I would have been eight years old. I'd just gone into town and I happened to buy a Doctor Who video, which is The Mind Robber. And when I was walking home, I popped into my local um, off license. And the guy who was. Uh, serving that day um, clocked the video I went oh are you a Doctor Who fan I was like yes yes I am so we ended up having a bit of a conversation and then he said well if you want a story just give me a, a blank video cassette and because I know a friend and we'll be able to get you it alright okay and I thought about this and at that point um, I had the, the story that I really really wanted to see more than any other was Plant of the Spiders. But I couldn't, I wasn't able to get it because at that point it had been deleted. I thought, well, this could be the opportunity to get to finally see Plant of the Spiders. But I don't know how this is going to work out. It, it is a bit weird. <laughs> it is illegal. Um, <laughs> but I'll give it a go. But what I'll do is I'll use the opportunity to, I don't know, because um, it may not work out, I'll pick Robot. I saw, you know, I want to see it, but not as much as Plant the Spiders, but I'll use it as a, like a test thing. So I got a blank VHS a few days later, popped around, and then set, and you know arranged to have a copy of Robot. Which again, at that point, in my defense, I couldn't have bought it because it was a video that was deleted at that point. And okay. then, uh, not long after, lo and behold, I got my copy of Robot, and that's how I saw Tom Baker's first story for the first time. Oh. 
Um, but that that that's the end of the story, really, because my ma- uh, my mother ended up finding out, and she wasn't impressed, <laughs> you know, with the, with this uh, with this criminal act, and uh, <laughs> and so made me promise that I wouldn't do it again, and so I didn't do it again, and then despite the fact, but I could see Planet of the Spiders, but you know, I had to wait until it finally got released on DVD. But anyway, yes, oh. that's my uh, that's my experience of. Um, Getting involved in the uh, the illegal world of pirating Doctor Who stories. Yes, and it all went downhill from there. <laughs> yes, it did. Yes, awful. Oh. Oh. That's cool, though. <laughs> so anyway, um, so uh, time to obviously get to to main brunt. But just before then, again, slight delay. Um, social media information, so you can get in contact with us on Twitter at Podcast Bell. Please do. We love hearing from you. We're also on Instagram at Cloister underscore Bell. And we have our own dedicated website, which is cloisterbellpodcast.com, where you can access the podcast that way. But there's also a few other f- uh, fun bits and pieces, uh, including uh, word searches, which are actually tremendous fun. And we recently discovered that uh, has been getting getting further interest in the podcast. Because, uh, Rob, you've been advertising them on, on Instagram, and that's been actually getting quite a bit of attention. Yes, well, I'll, I'll pull my um, Instagram stats up. Because the way social media is changing, um, Instagram is now doing Instagram Reels, which is basically just like TikTok, which is basically flicking through loads of different videos. Hmm. Um, and the way these videos reach people um, is based on their interest. And there is, there's not there's any podcasts on there. On TikTok that I noticed, but there is a few Doctor um, content creators, and there's a hell of a lot of people that are obviously fans of the show. So maybe it's a, an area we should look into. Mm-hmm. But I did put the odd video on just to test, and it actually got um, four or five thousand views in a couple of hours. Fantastic. Um, but the figure that I thought was a bit funny because of course our Instagram you know it's it has a few followers um, but the reach isn't massive so um, yesterday um, it shows our reach in percentage more than usual do you want to have a guess how many percent more than usual our Instagram has reached people um, I'm guessing it'd be quite high and be some ridiculous figure I think no, three hundred and fifty. Three hundred and fifty percent. I know what you're saying. Just going well, percent means out of a hundred, so that's not mathematical. Yeah. yeah, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, well. Three hundred and eighty-two thousand percent. What? Say that again. Three hundred and eighty-two thousand percent greater reach. Bloody hell! Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just a couple of hundred a thousand off. Yeah. Right. Okay. I know. I thought it was interesting. <laughs> Okay, good. So, uh, more word searches on the way. Yeah, uh, well, more more um, videos on the way, possibly. Mm. We do have our after show. Are you still keen to do that when the new series returns? Yeah, th- I think so. It means a, a way of um, getting a more immediate response out there. So, yeah, but, uh, I think yeah. that's quite good. Great. I think that's uh, enough <laughs> social media information to be <laughs> to be getting on with. But no, that's all good. Um, and then finally, if uh, if you would like to support the podcast, 
that little bit extra uh, we're also on Patreon you can find us on uh, via the Patreon website and the, but the link is also on our website which again is cloisterbellpodcast.com so over to uh, Revenge of the Cybermen so pl- uh, plot synopsis the time ring returns the Doctor Sarah and Harry to space station Nerva but thousands of years earlier when it served as a beacon for a new asteroid near Jupiter a mysterious plague is killing off the crew and the Doctor discovers the cause as a poison spread by Cybermats the last vestiges of the Cybermen are heading to Nerva to obliterate the asteroid now identified as Voga, the planet of gold, a metal that proved lethal during the last cyber war. So with the cast and crew, uh, the Doctor is played by Tom Baker, Sarah Jane Smith is played by Elizabeth Sladen, Harry Sullivan played by Ian Martyr, Commander Stevenson played by Ronald Lee Hunt who previously appeared in The Seeds of Death, Kelman was played by Jeremy Wilkin, um, perhaps best known for providing the voice of Virgil Tracy and other characters in Thunderbirds. Uh, he played Captain Okra in, and others in Captain Scarlet. He was Captain Forsyth in the James Bond movie The Spy Who Loved Me. And he was also Dev Tarrant in the first episode of Blake 7. Lester was played by William Marlowe, who previously appeared in The Mind of Evil. Warner, Alec Wallace, who had previously appeared in The Sea Devils. Tyrum was played by Kevin Stoney, who previously appeared in The Dark's Master Plan and The Invasion. Vorum was played by David Collings. He appeared in the final episode of Blake 7 and he would go on to appear in The Robots of Death and Mordron Undead. Madrick was played by Michael Wisher. Uh, he appeared several times in previous Doctor Who stories, uh, but famously also played Davros in Genesis of the Daleks and he would uh, later appear in Planet of Evil. Uh, Shepra was played by Brian Grellis. The cyber leader was played by Christopher Robbie, who previously appeared in The Mind Robber as the carcass. And the story was written by Jerry Davis. He previously written or co-written The Tenth Planet, The Highlanders and The Tomb of the Cybermen. The script editor was Robert Holmes. The story was directed by Michael E. Bryant. He had previously directed The Colony in Space, The Sea Devils, The Green Death, Death of the Daleks, and he would go on to direct The Robots of Death. And he also directed several episodes of Blake 7. Uh, Revenge of the Cybermen was produced by Philip Hinchcliffe. The music was by Kerry Blyton, a very distinctive composer. And he had previously provided music for Doctor Who and the Silurians and Death to the Daleks. Uh, Costume design was by Prue Handley. And the production design was by Roger Murray Leach. Um, So what is sort of interesting is that... um, the Cybermen hadn't really appeared in the John Pertwee era. There was a brief cameo in Carnival of Monsters, but John Pertwee's Doctor on television never encountered the Cybermen. Um, the last time they had appeared was in the Patrick Trapman era with the invasion. And that was seven years prior to Re- Revenge of the Cybermen, which is the same gap between this story and Earthshock. Um, oh, okay. And when people talk about Earthshock, which is you know a very well-respected... Um, Doctor Who story at that point the Doctor's Peter Davison uh, everyone talks about the fact that you know the Cybermen hadn't appeared in the series for seven years and finally they were you know they, they were back and that lends a tremendous excitement to to the story um, which no one ever talks about in relation to Revenge of the Cybermen now I suppose the way that it, well there's a couple of things with that 
the title Earth Shock doesn't give the doesn't give the the clue that the Cybermen are going to come back, and also that the Cybermen don't appear until the cliffhanger of Episode One. But nonetheless, even though people now know that Earthshock contains the Cybermen, it, it still has that sort of reverence and everyone talks about that excitement and everything. But as I said, never in relation to Revenge of the Cybermen. I mean, does, the, does that trigger any thoughts with you? Hmm. Comparing the two stories, um, I think Revenge of the Cybermen is probably one that kind of sits on the back bench for me. Mm. It's it's not much of a go-to story. Uh, the basic premise of it is memorable, but other than that, um, it's not one that's on my mind a lot. No. Uh, and Earthshock um, strikes me as one of the main Cyberman stories. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's a little uh, different there, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because... It, uh, some time ago, we uh, on Twitter we did do a sort of a, our rankings of our favourite Cyberman story. And you, uh, I'm sure Earthshock was your favourite, wasn't it? Oh yes, is this when we did a short video about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, so it, it ranks very highly for you. It does for me. And yeah, I would kind of agree that Revenge of the Cybermen sits sort of behind with me. In fact, to be perfectly honest, I, I find Revenge of the Cybermen quite a difficult story to discuss. Um, mm which is fantastic for a podcast the, the reason being is because the story is very simple so I mean there are some nice little like twists and turns in there uh, particularly in relation to the character Kelman um, because he turns out to be a, a double agent but despite that it's a very simple story not that there's anything wrong even, with that, even the, the title gives a lot away you know the Cybermen are in it Yeah, they want revenge we know they're going to get defeated yeah. So yeah, you can, so really the the title tells you pretty much everything about the story and being Doctor Who, you kind of know how it's going to end. It's ha- but it's how you get from A to B, which is sort of the interesting bit, but it is a very simple story, which is that um Gold is inimical to Cybermen. You have a planet uh um which is entirely made of gold. So the Cybermen want to destroy that planet. Um and obviously they need to be stopped and that's basically it uh there's there's nothing thematic about the story it's not as if there are elements of the story going well you know that's a metaphor for this thing over here or anything like that no it's a it's a very straightforward story Uh, in fact really i think how straightforward it is is probably the main talking point of it because i mean the story was written by jerry davis who was um who script edited Doctor Who uh, briefly during the 60s and the last time he'd written for the story was during that period and he co-created the Cybermen and mm-hmm. you know he'd previously written The Tenth Planet and Tomb of the Cybermen as I said earlier um, and that very much comes across to me this feels like a night this comes this whole thing feels like a 60s Doctor Who it just so happens as a 60s Doctor Who with Tom Baker in it Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, does does that have that feel with you? Um, yeah, I guess so. Pretty much, uh, the it does feel a bit more dated than Ark in Space um, because there's a it's a very different atmosphere. Mm-hmm. I did like a lot of the location stuff, though. Well, we have uh, the stuff in the caves, which was a lot better than the caves we got in Genesis of the Daleks. 
Yes, I see what you mean. I mean, I, I don't think that the the design of Genesis of the Daleks in any way is a failure, and the, um, and the caves were clearly studio based, but I think the design of them was quite decent. But yes, mm-hmm. when you can when you can compare them, um, mm-hmm. you know, studio design to actually, you know, in this story they they went to Wookie Hull, which is a great location, and it really that's one of the the great things about this story is I think that the the location work is absolutely fantastic and really sells where they are. Um, so that I think. Um, because yeah, Revenge of the Cybermen is a story which tends to, I maybe at best get forgotten about. At worst, it tends to rank very low with an awful lot of people. But mm, I do think it's very, very unremarkable. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, yeah. that's that's right. I mean, there's a few, there's a similarity to the Tenth Planet, mm. in that, in the Tenth Planet, this rogue planet turns up, Mondas. Yeah, and in this story, uh. Voga turns up which is it's a very hard thing to believe that uh, a planet that could sustain life um, would would drift this uh, would drift to earth mm. um, well actually in this case Voga was orbiting Jupiter it had been for 50 odd years yeah uh, the doctor does remark that okay so so now does he, doesn't he say oh so now there's 16 moons I think he says 13 which of course doesn't, 13, yeah. which doesn't date the story at all yeah because we have what uh, <laughs> I think a few years ago we had 67 now we have 88 yeah <laughs> but like maybe that. in the far flung future it uh, they all get destroyed and so it diminishes during down the, the cyber wars <laughs> yeah cyber wars so we'll, we'll fudge it that way um I think actually you, you, you've summed that summed it up in in one word. I think Revenge of the Cybermen is is pretty unremarkable in a lot of respects, but there are, and I think a, a big part of that comes down to the fact that it is a very simple story. It's just sort of, I think probably it's fine. It's you know it's it's probably comfort viewing, but there's not an awful lot um, to to really sink your teeth into and it's a, yeah. and obviously the, this I mean I, I've always thought that about this story uh, in general anyway but obviously we're coming it from the perspective of reviewing reviewing season 12 as a whole and when you're following it off from stories like Ark and Space and certainly Genesis of the Daleks and you know and there's you know we talk you know with that story you're talking about fascism and World War 2 and what the Daleks represent and all the rest of it um there's an awful lot to to discuss whereas I said with this it's it is very simple um, yeah and it it does explore some kind of relatable themes like like fear like the cybermen were defeated um they want to destroy Voga because of their their fear of the gold hmm. uh the Vogans are um they they also fear the return of the Cybermen. Uh, there's no kind of clear message at the end. Or there's nothing striking. Yeah. Um, to the story. But I think. I mean, I think one of the positives uh, from this story, which uh, which I which I really do like, is the relationship between and the use of Sarah and Harry in this story. Um, I think, I think it's balanced really well. I mean, I love Ark and Space, but in terms of you know, that's a story where 
probably until the final episode, Sarah's very much you know pushed to one side, and then um, and then with the other stories, I think there's been a slight struggle on how to use Harry, particularly in something like this, particularly with something like the Sontaran experiment. But with here, you know, the, the very you, know, the, you feel like those two, comp- you know, Sarah and Harry are finally uh, equals to the Doctor, and they're yes. You know, they're very much involved in the story, and they both get, um, you know, captured and escape. But they actually form part of the story because you know they're the ones who uh, encounter both factions of the Vogans. What's going on there? That helps unfold the story. That you know, and they have built the tension. Um, so I really like how they're used. Yeah, there's a nice little moment of like where Harry is introducing himself and Sarah, and then Sarah butts in and says. I'm Sarah Jane Smith. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that because you know Harry is the you know quite an old-fashioned sort of character. You know, there's that constant joke in the previous stories of constantly referring to Sarah as an old girl and, and all the rest of it. So, quite. Uh, I mean, his heart's in the right place, but quite. Uh, you know, there's that. I don't know. Maybe it's too big a word to describe him, but you know, maybe slight misogyny there. Um, but it's it, but it's used as like a bit of a joke, and yeah, that that was a, actually a very nice, subtle moment when he's about to introduce Sarah, but you know she's capable of doing that herself, so she, so she does. So yeah, I like that as well. Um, so that so that I think is a very good part of the story. Um, um, but going back to to the Cybermen for a moment, I mean, w- there's a couple of things I want to talk about. I mean, firstly, them as villains. I mean, what do you think of the Cybermen in general? I think the the whole aspect that the there's a living person in there. I don't know if it's it seems like it's almost been forgotten when this story was written. Mm. But the voices are very human. In fact, the voices in this story are very unique compared to other stories, especially with the the cyber leader. The the but the kind of humanity, if you describe it that way. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't explode very well. The fact that the Cybermen are here in the first place um, shows that they they do have fear or insecurities or um, or they feel threatened. So it's a cool aspect to play with, but uh, it doesn't really pique my interest that much. I feel like the Cybermen haven't really um, evolved much at this point mm. I mean my do you agree with that yeah I do I mean because for me I think the Cybermen are, are quite I like them as an idea I like you know the, I like the, the, the idea behind what the Cybermen are I think is a really you know is really good and has an awful lot of potential the problem is I don't think that potential's re. Te- I don't think that potential tends to get met in actually the stories um, you know, when they're introduced in the Tenth Planet, for example, I don't think that's a great story. I think really the only reason why we tend to remember that story isn't. Yes, they introduced the Cybermen, but that would become a bit of a classic villain. But, but the story itself is a bit. Yeah, um, we tend to remember that story. I think because that's the first story. It ends with the very first regeneration. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I quite, you know, although I haven't said that, you know, I quite like the moon base, but that goes, this goes into another point because you said, you know, there's an element of the 10th planet which feels like is sort of repeated in Revenge of the Cybermen. There are elements of the moon base which 
which are repeated in this story with the whole thing to do with you know with the virus at the beginning of this uh, beginning of this adventure mm-hmm. which is there in the moon base so which goes into well how how many original elements are here um in the story there's really not that many um and so that, but so then going into that thing of I like the idea of the Cybermen, but sometimes the the way that well actually the vast majority of times for me I think the way that they are presented in the story doesn't meet the potential of that idea. You have great stories like the Invasion and Earthshock, which are fantastic, but otherwise I think when they do tend to pop up, they're a it, it's a little bit disappointing. I mean they're there in the mm. Five Doctors, but they're you know which is great, but then they're not the main focus. No. Um, and we've got this whole thing with the gold. I like the idea of introducing like a vulnerability, mm-hmm. but it isn't explained that well. Basically, it's a good non-corrosive metal that blocks up their airways or something. <laughs> but in that respect, gold seems too effective, uh, especially in like Earthshock. It's it's like this aspect that's carried forward beyond this story. It is, and it re- I think it really rears its uh, its ugly head in the Sylvester McCoy story, Silver Nemesis, where mm. where I think here it's sort of it's the I think the way it's described in this story, they just get away with it. You know, with, with that scene that you've just quoted, it's the perfect non-corrodible metal. It's when I'm watching it, I go, yeah, okay, you provide a bit of an explanation for it, I I buy it. Um, but in order, for, but the thing is, in order for it to be effective, you in fact you really got to get up close to the Cybermen and then crush it into uh, their artificial respirator, mm-hmm. uh, which is there. And obviously, it's the end of it, and that's the, it's the very end of uh, Earthshock as well. So I kind of like if if this is to be their vulnerability, the fact that you've got to put yourself in so, so much physical danger in order to do it. It's sort of like, well, you know, how practical is it? It is a weakness, and so we can exploit it. But I kind of like that. But whereas when you finally get this idea, and then in Silver Nemesis, where basically you've got Ace with a catapult, and she can just basically ping it at the Cybermen, mm-hmm. uh, and then that's it. They're they're done for. So it, maybe it, maybe it is a bit too too much of a neat idea. But then that's Silver Nemesis. That's not the problem with Revenge of the Cybermen. Um, so I think it, it's it's sort of fine. Um, and in here we we have a, a redesign of the Cybermen, uh, a design of the Cybermen which is uh, which is unique to this story. Uh, what do you, what do you think of the design? Um, I've never been too much of a fan on the black headpiece for the Cyber Leader. Right. Um, this headpiece is actually, of course, the same as the Invasion, but the Invasion had more of a, a thicker tubing mm-hmm. around the head I believe and this is more of a um, no sorry it was a it was a th- it was more of a thinner one in the invasion and in this one it's the thicker tubing around the head I think I prefer this design over invasion actually um, this is also the head that featured in Van Staten's museum in 2005 Dalek yes yeah yeah um I mean, it might have made more sense to include an invasion head then, but never mind. Um, but yeah, I do like the design. Do you think um, it's good? Is the is is the bodywork less of a leather jacket style zip from like invasion in this one? <laughs> this is more like a swimsuit. A surfing. Yeah, it's it. Uh, 
Because originally, the, uh, when they were in the pre-production of this story, um, they'd been told that there was actually some cyber costumes that they could use, and I think there was only two from the invasion that they looked at, and Philip Hinchcliffe went, we cannot use them. You may have got got away with it in 1968, but to reuse that design here, it just wouldn't work. We need to redesign them. Um, it's I quite like uh, the idea of of them having an inbuilt gun into the into the head. Mm. Uh, I quite like that idea, and the director Michael E. Bryant he actually wanted all of the ma- you know the, the major characters who would be armed to have different types of guns. So when the the crew of the Nerva Beacon are armed, they have I think they're Uzis, but you know um, proper handheld weapons that we would recognise. And then yeah. you have the guns that the Vogans have, and then you have the Cybermen with you know th- th- they're so inbuilt that you know they've even got weapons inside that you know uh, on the top of their heads. So in order for them to stop them shooting, you would have to completely destroy the Cybermen themselves. I quite like that as an idea. I, d- I-, I can't see it working in a, uh, in any other story, but it works here, and I, I-, yeah. I do quite like it. I think. I think there was, and I think overall that the Simon design's fine. I mean, my, my favourite is the redesign that happens in Earthshock. I think the eighty Simon for me is the best look, and I think um, they had guns as well, didn't they? Yeah, they had guns, um, which are good. I think the, the built-in guns would not return until Army of Ghosts in two thousand six, right? When okay. they had um, guns in the that came out of the wrists. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if there is a fault but, with the, with this redesign in Revenge, it's the the tubing on the actual bodies, the way that it just comes to a a blunt end near the arm. I just think ah, right. it just it's looks a bit useless. Uh, yeah, it does. It, you know, just uh, an aesthetic. Yeah, it. Um, I think maybe the finish could have just been a little bit better, but I think the overall the, the design's fine. Um, and actually, so actually talking about design, let's talk about the. Uh, story design itself so um, it, it the story has a very distinctive look to it um, we have elements of Nerva Beacon you know making a return so that it's the, the slight redesign of how it appeared in uh, the Arkham space what do you think of the redesign of those sets I think it's good that it, they made an effort to make it look different mm-hmm. um, which is quite striking Um it's, I mean, it's hard to believe that this is thousands of years earlier and this machinery is still there, but that's fine. Um, it's built to last, I guess. Mm-hmm. I wasn't uh, much of a fan of the newer sets, like the um, the quarters, the rooms and things. It just, I don't know, it felt a bit too flimsy for a, for a space station. Yes, I agree with you there. So the, the, there are two sets which are which have been brought over from from the Arkham space with uh, with slight tweaks here and there, and it does work. But yes, with the things like the cruise quarters and things like that, it does. It is a bit of a shame. It, it, it's, I think it's the one story in this season where those are, it looks a bit cheap and just a little bit rough around the edges. Yeah. Um. So, I think I don't know. I'll I'll let them slip with that. But uh, yeah, it does feel like a 
a budget sequel to uh, <laughs> Ark in Space, unfortunately. But I'm I'm so glad they kept the corridor, mm. um, the exterior view corridor scene um, set. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. One of the be- one of, that was one of the better ones. Yeah. Um, the sets on Voga were were fine. They were good. Um, I like that they used practical. Um, caves and I like the, the, the little uh, little cars that they drove around mm-hmm. yeah it was all good yes I think that's that's something it's not only just because of the location work at Wookiee Hole but uh, I think the, the sets that they did in the studio that was set on Voga I think uh, were quite good and looked robust um, um, can I just mention um, yes go on a, a certain emblem on the wall I was about to mention that yes um, we have the first <laughs> first appearance of what would later be known as the Seal of Rassilon um, which is just due to the fact because th- this story and then the Deadly Assassin uh, is both designed by Roger Murray and f- from a purely practical point of view all what he's done is redesigned he's just repurposed uh, a good design but obviously this is this throws up because um, I remember the first time that I, I watched Revenge of the Sidemen you know, I was watching it out of order, so I know this emblem is the seal of Rassilon, um, which kind of go, oh, are the, are the Time Lords involved? And of course they aren't. Uh, it's just uh, it has thrown up a little bit of a, a continuity problem. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a there's a link somewhere out in the in the books. Yeah, probably. Possibly. And the f- I mean, you could actually argue that uh, because. They've, uh, the TARDIS crew have used the, the time ring to get to uh, the Nerva, Nerva Beacon uh, which was given to the Doctor by the Time Lords in the first place and they've taken them to this event uh, obviously the Time Lords have a vested interest at, at, at some level um, maybe the, the Seal of Rassilon is a bit of a clue to that but um, if you really want to sort of like look into it but yeah it, or maybe they kind of idolise the Time Lords <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it is a great design. The design of it is 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 great, and in fact, because um, that's what you've got a tattoo of it, haven't you? Yeah, it's a nice big Vogan tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you know, great. Um, and then talking about the Vogans, what what do you think of the Vogan masks? Um, there's a big noticeable difference uh, in, I guess what you'd um call the the hero makeup of the main ones and then you've got all the extras <laughs> yeah. uh, which is blatantly just a mask mm. um i mean in my head in my head i'm thinking are these uh, like a subspecies <laughs> of vogans with <laughs> weird faces um i think when you get close up of the dodgy looking ones it's noticeably bad yes um, and unfortunately, I think that's the first glimpse that we ever get of them as well. Yes, Bad you're right. I, th- I think it is. Yeah, and it's like, oh my god, what's what's happening this week? Because <laughs> <laughs> I think um, Philip Hinchcliffe looks at the masks as I, I, because I don't think this is a favorite of his, uh, and he looks at the masks as being a, um, a failure. Of, of this particular story mm-hmm. uh, and yes you can, I mean when you've got the actors uh, Kevin Stoney David Collins 
and I think Alec Wallace um, when they're, uh, and Michael Wisher when they're wearing the masks obviously because as you said um, they're the main actors so their masks have been specially made and designed for them so it fits much better yeah but for the for the grunts as it were um, they're very obviously to save on uh, time and money um, mm. it's a rough approximation of what they look like just to be stuck on all these extras unfortunately uh, there are moments when Michael E. Bryant who's the director um, makes certain camera choice shot choices to kind of emphasise how yeah. poor they look in comparison I mean what they possibly should have done um, is more like what we had with the Silurians in the modern era where um, all the extras literally have a face mask on so maybe like a, a Vogon mining mask or something would have been a better, better way to go yeah, possibly, but I mean, go, go, just talking about it in general. So when you, so without taking that comparison oh, in, okay, um, when you look at the, the like the main, um, like when you're looking at Vorus and Tyrum and Madric, you know, the, the, the main Vogans. I mean, what do you think of the design there? Um, it's not distracting at all. I think it looks pretty good, mm -hmm. uh, and of course, these are really, really interesting characters. Possibly some of the more interesting characters in the story. Yeah. Um. So that doesn't bother me. Um, it's just a bit distracting when the other guys come on onto the set. Yeah. Uh, no, I was just curious because it, it is one of those things. Because when I, when I was watching the story, listening it to the listen to the commentary, Philip Pinchcliffe and I think Roger Moore but Philip Pinchcliffe certainly he, he doesn't like the masks. But Elizabeth Sladen says no. I think they look great. And yeah, it, it is one of those things. I think some people say no, they look bad. And I think some people, and I think we're in agreement here. I think they look good. They're a very uh, unique design, and I think the way that they've been made and made up and and um, David Collins actually said that he found the mask actually very comfortable to wear as well. So it wasn't as if it was um, very awkward for the actors to wear. I think yeah, I think it's a good design. I think um, the the bad looking ones are the ones that stick in your mind though <laughs> so when someone mentions Fogans to me I think oh they don't look really good <laughs> but yeah once you get stuck into it and watching it uh, some pretty good characters mm -hmm. um, one thing that one of the things that I do like about this story actually is uh, I think and I think I appreciate, I appreciate it in general, but certainly when you come, you know, following it on from a bleak story like Genesis of the Daleks, um, it's quite nice that you've got this story here, which has some very funny moments in it. So um, the moments that sort of stand out for me is um, there's a bit when uh, Sarah and Harry are, uh, uh, are trying to escape, and they've uh, their their bracelets are made of, uh, their their ankle bracelets are made out of gold. Um, so, you know, Harry's trying to break it off Sarah and uh, trying to take it off, and it's just, you know, just just the fact you've got a line where he criticizes Sarah and she just goes, "My ankles aren't thick." Uh, I, I just think it's funny. I, I love how Elizabeth Sladen says the line. Um, yeah. And I think Tom Baker has some really good moments. I mean, that that that's uh, and there's one moment in particular in this story that really makes me smile or laugh out loud. Yeah, go on. What is it? Uh, it's near the end when um, the Doctor's been knocked out by the rock, rock yes. fall uh -huh. and Harry's going to take off the harness <laughs> um, that would trigger the bomb and he, he, the Doctor wakes up and he's like, Harry, 
were you about to take my harness off? Did you cause that rock side? And he just burst out laughing. Yeah, she's <laughs> like, Harry is an imbecile. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I love that. That that's a highlight of the story. I generally love that. And the way he just breaks out into laughter. Yeah, and um, there's there's a bit a bit earlier on when they've been strapped with the bombs, and then the Cyberman pushes the Doctor uh, forward, and then just Tom is careful, careful, I might explode. <laughs> I like that. And then there's, I think probably there one, is one more nearer the end. Oh, go on. What is it? When um, when the the Cybermen have a hold of the Doctor and Sarah, <laughs> yes. and the Cyber Leader, he's he's pushing um, Tom down. He's just shaking him. <laughs> I don't know if he's holding back laughter or not. I don't think that actually. I think that's a funny moment, which was unintentional. I, th- I don't think that was, but actually, it's that bit when they're both tied up and they're having the conversation. And um, you know the, the way that the camera is, uh, the doctor is facing the Cyberman and facing us, and then oh, yes. and then it, uh, it's time to say goodbye. The Cyber Leader says, and then the doctor says goodbye, and then turns round, and then <laughs> Sarah's there. And they're both tied up together. I like all that. I thought that's a wonderful moment. Clearly made um, that the, the actors themselves rehearsed. And I think that's great. And I think there's the famous bit, probably the most you know iconic bit, and it's also. Um, this is a clip that's used in Earthshock you know when doc, when the Doctor says you're just a pathetic bunch of tin soldiers skulking about the galaxy and Asian spaceship um, yeah so the, the, there are great moments and funny lines and um, I, I do appreciate those moments as well and uh, I think it's I think they're great so yeah I, I think um, it's I mean as I said I think there's <laughs> there's not much to talk about in relation to the story I think I mean for me I think I pretty much talked about what I want is there anything that I that, that I haven't uh, covered that, that you want to talk mm, about any points of interest um, Goldust did crop up in the TV movie yes it did in, uh, in sort of those velvet bags I've, I've always thought that um, that's gold that he got from, I mean there's no suggestion why this would be the case but I've always thought they were from Vogel yeah well the Doctor does um, ask for a bag of gold dust near the end so uh, it just stands to reason that that's exactly what it is mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I wonder what the street value of that is <laughs> uh, quite a bit I imagine although that's the thing it's sort of like how pr- is, <laughs> who's going to buy it off you where, where have you got this gold dust from it's a bit odd mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah I think uh, <laughs> that's pretty much it uh, should we go to listeners responses yeah, sure. Uh, so actually, we got um, we got quite a few got responses. Quite a few. Yeah. Um, so Jason Thompson got in contact with us on Twitter, and he said um, about the story: the plot is nonsense. Blowing up Foga won't destroy the gold, just making it easier to harvest by scattering it across space. Good point, Jason. But space is a large place. But anyway, um, the Voga masks are unfortunate and people attacking themselves with cybermats was never going to be anything but comical but the cybermen look great on film in the caves and they have rarely looked more unstoppable than when two of them marched through the Vogan army entirely unscathed gunning down all the opposition even the gold vulnerability is well played here in its introduction I agree with that I think that's a good point Vogans presumably use gold for everything but fail to kill the two Cybermen and when the Doctor and Harry attack the Cybermen with gold dust they fail and only Lester's self-sacrifice with the bomb actually finishes them off um, yeah I do like this scene of self-sacrifice um, 
Of course, that did not detonate the actual bomb. There must have been a, a smaller charge on the harness. Mm-hmm. Was is that right? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Well, it must have been, and um, because of course these are these really really big bombs that were banned by the uh, the Armageddon Convention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a good point about destroying Voga that it may not destroy the gold um, because it it very well may leave um, like a molten core. Um, but the Cybermen did say it would vaporise Voga. Yes, yeah, it did. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think... I- I think it's one of those things where the plot works when you're watching the story, but don't think perhaps don't. I mean, it, it is far too simple. And uh, yeah, but anyway. And Jason was right. The Vogan masks are unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I would yeah. say I agree with them. It's like what we said. I think I agree with them in terms of the extras. I think actually the the design of our, of them for the main actors, uh, I think, is where it works. Yes. But I, but having said that, I know even th- even those designs doesn't work for everybody. So I think it's it's you know some people will like them, some people don't. I think it's it, it's one or other. I don't think anyone will go ah oh, they're okay. Yeah, I either think they work or they don't. Uh, Forty two to Doomsday said it's not the best Sidemen story, but it's one of the best comfort Doctor Who stories out there. Probably because I watched it so much on VHS and it being screened repeatedly on the ABC. So uh, that's uh, maybe an instance where it's one of one of their first stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe a sentimental one. Yeah. And then I mean, because that 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 point of it being comfort viewing actually comes up uh, in a number of the other responses that we got. So, all of time and space podcast said. This story has an incredibly nostalgic association for me. I got the VHS on my 12th birthday and watched it over and over. There's something very cosy and reassuring about the Doctor, Harry and Sarah Jane. No matter how scary things get, you know that they will prevail. And then Beechell uh, got in contact and said, Probably my favourite comfort, Doctor Who. The plot and storyline are just fine. That battle scene between the Vogan factions is cramped as as hell, though. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that is... (laughs) That is true. In fact, that's a point that even Philip Hinchcliffe points out on the on the DVD commentary. Uh, I think those shots were... I mean, there are quite a few battle sequences uh, in the location of Wookiee Hole, but there were one or two moments, I think, where it's because um, the, the battles between the two Vogans, a couple of those have to go into the studio, and the cramped nature of it... Uh, it yeah, it certainly does show. Um mm. The Doctor Who show said after Pat met the Cybermen seemingly non-stop, poor old Pert didn't get a go with them, so revenge is this marvellous chance to see them in action again, and not again for another seven years after that. Reason enough alone to treasure the story, I think, but I enjoy the plot too. And then Andrew uh, Havery um, does a, uh, a good summing up, I think. He says, Kelman, Cybermats, great. Tired station operatives okay. Music, Simon, Vogan's crap. <laughs> Actually, one thing that we, we didn't discuss uh, was the music by Carrie Blyton. Um, 
This is his third and last story that he would provide music for uh, for Doctor Who, having done it for Doctor Who and the Silurians and Death to the Daleks previously. And his scores are very distinctive. Um, wh- what did you think of the What did you think of the music? Um, unmemorable. I can't picture it. Oh, can you not? No. All right. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I quite like it. I- I'm sure if I stick it on now, I'd be like, oh yeah. But no, no, it doesn't. Uh, it is. It doesn't stick. <laughs> okay. Uh, I quite like it, but it is one of those things where it um, y- you are aware of, of <laughs> most of us, Rob, are, are, are aware of the music when when they're watching it. It um, uh, Kerry Blyton's certainly instrumentation um, is is very unusual as well. So again, it's it's one of those instances where you either like it or you don't. It it is a very unique score. Um, who can convince you? Got in contact and said, "Lovely little story with huge nostalgia. I got the VHS in about ninety-eight, ninety-nine, and wore it out. It was everything a four-year-old Harry wanted: big spaceship, guns, Cybermen, little aliens, boats. Yes, the story is a little flat, and the plot makes a little sense, but I love it. I love how people are loving this. Yes, it's it's actually really it's it's actually really quite nice because I think you know the, the overall reputation that the story seems to have is that people just sort of like dump on it but getting these responses is great and then uh, Julian Botting said I actually love it it's the first Cyberman story I saw and watched it when it was originally shown I was very young um, that's cool it, it seems like to everyone it's sadly what Warriors of the Deep is to me <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to it when we get round to reviewing that story Rob but yes yeah I know what you mean and then we d- and then because we, we put out a poll on Twitter which was, you know, do you? Th- how would you rate the story, good, average, or bad? Uh, and we again, we got actually quite a good, healthy response uh, from this. And this is how it breaks down in percentage. So, eleven point nine percent of people thought it was bad. Thirty-five point seven percent of people thought it was average. Fifty-two point four percent of people say that it's good. All right. Yeah. Um. Which. Uh, reinforced childhood nostalgia. Yeah, it's uh, but that's uh, that's a really pleasant <laughs> surprise because I would have thought that uh, most people would have probably said that it was average. But the response yeah. that we've got, most people really enjoy the story, and you know some people recognise the faults, but they still enjoy it, and for them it's a good story, which is which is really great. Um, so from from our perspective, uh, in terms of our sort of conclusion score. Um, oh, um, I think you may have missed off one or two. Oh, sorry. Responses. Um, one more response was Harry Draper. Um, he wrote the Doctor Who short trip, the last day of. Sorry, he wrote the Doctor Who short trip, the last day at work for Big Finish, and he says it's rubbish, <laughs> and I absolutely love it. Oh, fantastic. I think, yeah, okay, I, I love that. That's it's rubbish. I absolutely love it. Kate, spelled K-A-I-T, said the best season 12 story runs for cover. That's uh, that's an that's an interesting response. Um, yeah. I love that. It'd be interesting to hear what, what... I mean, I love getting, you know, hearing those, those different reactions. I mean, because uh, years ago I came across uh, a Doctor Who blog... Um, 
and their favorite story was the king's demons it's a story that i like myself but you can't but you're going that's really interesting you know th- you know um the king's demons that just seems seems like a random story to pick and yet it's their favorite and um uh, and to say actually Revenge of the Cybermen I think is the best story in, in season 12 I mean you're wrong but uh, <laughs> no sorry um, brave last words yeah but um, I would love to know why uh, generally because I'm interested because that you know that's not uh, oh, I would love to Kate if you're listening sorry is it Kate or Katie it I don't know it's K-A-I-T um if, if if you're listening, please get in contact and sort of say why it's your favourite story of the season because I, I would love to love to hear it's uh, that's interesting that's good. Yeah. Ben Lindsay said, "Love it." Short and to the point. Mm-hmm. Chisler nineteen seventy six said, "For me, it's a real what could have been episode." So yeah, there's potential there. Um, yeah, quite a lot, a lot of responses in there. I think that's probably one of the, the most responses that we've received for a story. Uh, it's certainly up there, which is uh, which is interesting, and it's it's great to have hear quite a lot of positive reactions to it. Um, so, in terms of our own conclusions and scores, uh, what are your thoughts? Well, like we said earlier on, uh, I did rate the Santoran experiment good. Out of good, bad, and good, average, and bad, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like I might regret this, but um, I just it just feels average. Average. Yeah, um, I think the same. It's still. I agree with what a lot a lot of our listeners have said that it's comfort viewing. Um, I will. You know, if you know, I will more than happily watch it again, and I've you know, I've I've watched it many times over the years. There is just there is something very pleasant about watching it. It does have a, quite a nice atmosphere, and I think the, the acting's really good. Um, but yeah, I would agree. I think I think overall the the story is average. Um, mm-hmm. But again, that isn't to suggest that we completely dislike it. Um, it's just that. Yeah, we think it's it's okay. There are better stories than this one, but even without the comparison, it's just, yeah, it's it's fine. But I think you know it's it's perfectly decent to watch. Um, mm-hmm. So this is the the final story of season twelve. So that's that, that's it. We've finally come to, to the end of reviewing Tom Baker's uh, first season. Um, so first of all, how would you? I mean, what are your overall thoughts? I mean, how would you sort of like sum up season 12? Um, season 12, it's quite unique in the sense that it has its own its own kind of unique way of transitioning between the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not earthbound, and yet they're not travelling around in the TARDIS. So, um, and also they do hop back and forward uh, from Nervous, so... It does seem like it's one long narrative. Um, the characters, um, Harry and Sarah, do evolve along the way. Um, maybe there could have been a bit more development with Harry. Um, but there's some really good stories in this season. Um, there's a lot of fan favourites here. Um, it's a very it's a very good season. Mm-hmm. 
yeah I would say it's uh, it's very good it's very strong I think it's one of the best uh, and it does that as you said it, it's very unique because it does that thing of transitioning from one doctor to the other it's introducing a new doctor the way that it does so of you know because John Pertwee's stories tended to be very earth based and now you know we're, we're opening we're going back into time and space with this season but the way that it does it it does that without the TARDIS and um, all the stories link up it's, it's like it's one con continuous narrative um, which at this point in the show's history is rare basically it, uh, we hadn't really seen that I think probably since um, probably since the Hartnell era um, maybe the Troughton but I think certainly the Hartnell era um, and yeah it's 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 very strong and um, you can t it, it's that wonderful but you know it's, because it the series had been um, had been designed and been conceptualised when Barry Lett and Terence Dix were both producer and script editor respectively, and then later on, you know, the new team of um, Philip Hinchcliffe and Robert Holmes taking over. So it's sort of this the, uh, the balance between two production teams getting their hands on, on this and trying to work it through. Uh, gives the whole season a, a unique feel. It's you can kind of see where the show is going, but uh, in terms of Philip Hinchcliffe's time as producer, it's it's unusual, uh, but in a good way. And yeah, I really really like it. Um, if you uh, have you, how would you rank the stories? Oh, okay. Uh, my top spot would be Genesis of the Daleks. <laughs> Um, second place, Ark in Space. Then Robot, Centauran Experiment, and then finally, Revenge of the Cybermen. Mm -hmm. All right, yeah, that's a, that's a good list. I think um, for me, uh, I think we're we're largely the same, just one or two differences. So uh, for me, I would put the Ark in Space at, at a top top position, followed by Genesis of the Daleks. Um, I struggled with that though, actually, if I'm honest. But because um, I thought, no, yeah, as I was, as I was saying it, I was like, mm, I'm not sure that's what. <laughs> yeah, because I was going, no, Genesis of the Dark's better, but no, I really like Ark. And, and you can't compare them. No, no, you so, you can't. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're both fantastic stories. They're absolutely remarkable. Um, but yeah, I think I put the Ark in Space the top position, then Genesis of the Darks, Robot next. Robot, I absolutely love. Um, uh, and then I would, uh, and then again, it, it follows your list of going then the Centauran experiment, then Revenge of the Cybermen. Um, I think that's I think that's quite fair. But then it's like what we've said. Even though I've ranked well, we both have with the Centauran experiment and Revenge of the Cybermen in the same place at the um, at the bottom of the run. Still like those stories. Yeah, I think um, the Centauran experiment is a uh, considering it's just a two-parter. Um, it's done quite well. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I've enjoyed that, um, but uh, but as I said at the very beginning, I, I'm pleased that we've we've come to the end. So you know we, we can start looking at uh, other areas of Doctor Who. So what have we got planned for for next week, Rob? Oh, um, I think we'll obviously look at a. A one-parter? I'm torn. Um, if we do a two-parter, I'd like to do it over two podcasts. I don't want to waste two Edelson stories in one podcast. Oh, right, okay. Or do, is, is that your kind of opinion? 
No, but I mean, if, if that's what you wanted to do, it's, it's, no. it's fine. I'm, I'm, it's mm, fine. Actually, no, I'm going to go with, and you might be annoyed because you might want to pick it, but I'm going to go with Dalek. Ah, right, okay, good choice. So what it is is, is, is a little while back, uh, what Rob and I did was that we went through all the classic Doctors uh, picking our favourite um, stories fr- from each. So just as an example, uh, for William Hartnell, Rob picked the Aztecs as his favourite uh, Hartnell story, I picked the Crusade, and then so on. So what we've decided to do is that we've, we've gone back to that format, but obviously with, with the new Doctors. So, uh, yeah, so next week we'll be discussing Rob's favourite Eccleston story, Dalek. Good choice, Rob. I'm looking forward to talking about that one. Thanks. Cool. Uh, well, that's been a good, uh, a good talk today. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, we'll hope to see you all next week and do get in touch um, with your thoughts on Dalek. Yep, look forward to it. Bye, everyone. Cheers, bye.